Welcome to A Virtual View. I'm your host, Becky Sanders. Today we're going to be talking with Taylor Kenyon about the Tobacco Health Systems Change Partnership. Taylor, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Becky. It's great to be here. So building off of IRHA's long history of partnership with the Indiana State Department of Health's Tobacco Commission, our organization had launched a two-year project focusing upon building a translatable model for tobacco dependence treatment in health systems. And that's where the name Health Systems Change comes from. And so at a high level, this project seeks to support three hospitals, Putnam County Hospital, Franciscan Health Rensselaer, and Decatur County Memorial Hospital with implementing tobacco dependence treatment via evidence-based practices and quality improvement activities while leveraging electronic medical record systems. And specifically, our partner hospitals use the opportunity to improve processes, workflows to reduce patient and employee tobacco use. Parallel partners in this also include Purdue Healthcare Advisors, Rethink Tobacco Indiana, the Hospital Association, Community Health Network, Southwestern Behavioral, and more. And so I'll go a, a bit of into that here today. Becky, uh, would you like me to start with uh, tobacco use and health impacts? Yeah, that would be great. Perfect. So I'm sure uh, a lot of a lot of your listeners here are Hoosiers true and through like myself, and so we're not too uh, unaware of the the tobacco issue here in Indiana. But just as a review here. Tobacco use is the number one preventable cause of death here in the United States. And as we've seen the last, well, really uh, two to three years, we've seen a massive uptick with vaping and e-cigarettes. So it's it's still a very prominent issue that, that needs to be addressed. And so specifically with Indiana's case, Indiana is within what's been named Tobacco Nation by the Truth Initiative, which really represents both Midwestern and Southern states that have a high prevalence of tobacco products. And that really comes down to what we call BRFIS or the Behavioral Risk Factor Surveillance System. This is usually labeled as the, the premier data system by the CDC, and, and it's the source of data and information that you see from a lot of state and local health department reports. And so the aim of this work is really to help aid someone with their quit journey so that they're able to break free from their tobacco nicotine addiction. I'd like to take a step back for just a moment. And can you tell us when the Tobacco Health Systems Change Partnership started and how you got involved with that? So the Tobacco Health Systems Change Partnership started in proper about three years ago, because as I mentioned, it's a, it's a multifaceted cohort with multiple organizations and hospitals. But my own story and with IRHA, we're on our second year presently. And so the cohort represents a variety of hospitals and health systems around the state of varying sizes and patient populations. So the tobacco quit line has been around for a long time here in Indiana. Um, And with this new partnership, I'm starting to hear new words. You mentioned the behavioral risk factors surveillance system. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, most, most certainly. So, I mean, you're right. The tobacco quit lines have been around for quite some time. And I do like to always stress to everyone that these are evidence-based methods by which to quit tobacco. And so specifically with the Indiana tobacco quit line, there's actually been some newer changes that I've been very excited about as of August. So there's basically two service lines, the traditional format in which you either get a referral from your local health system or hospital or or primary care provider, or you can self-enroll via quitnowindiana.com or call 
quit now. And on the, the phone call or on the, the website, you can sign up and get access to an individualized quit coach. You can also get access to a quit guide that helps you identify your triggers and other social and behavioral aspects that may influence your quit plan. And then there is as well a two-week free supply of nicotine replacement therapy, either patch, gum, or lozenge, as long as there's no contraindications or anything of, of that sort. And this is for, that's for adults as well. And then the other service line is the, the new one that I get very excited about is the individual services program. And again, it's the same referral process. You just indicate which that you want to go through. But what makes this different compared to the traditional model is that you can select your services a la carte. And the reason why is because the State Department of Health and other tobacco control partners have long heard, often in this day and age with robocalls, that, you know, I, I don't want to answer the phone for a stranger at Quick Coach, or I don't want to talk to that stranger on the phone. So we want the patient to be able to, to access uh, cessation services at their own rate and desire. Everyone's different, and so to be able to get an access maybe to just that quick guide or maybe just the access to that two-week free supply of nicotine replacement therapy. Let's get that quit attempt started rather than just holding off from some more bureaucratic barrier, if you will. So when someone calls the quit line or goes onto the website, who's on the other end? So when you first call, you are being connected with an intake specialist um, that's run by Optum. And these intake specialists and also the quit coaches are all trained in addictions and behavioral health. And they're also trained as well for unique patient populations. So what I failed to mention previously is the quit line has many different paths specific to patient populations. There's the normal adult. There is programs that are set up for pregnant mothers. There are paths set up specifically for behavioral health populations. And what really changes in that, the behavioral health program is a bit more involved. It's a 12-week program as opposed to the adult, and there is a longer duration of nicotine replacement therapy because as we know from research, nicotine addiction and behavioral health conditions can make that quit attempt harder. So we want to make sure that they're supported. So the long answer to that question, Becky, is that there are trained specialists there ready for you for that call. It's not someone at the end of that line that has no idea what they're doing. They are quite confident and ready to talk you through and to help set up a quit plan. So I've heard the term TTS. Those are tobacco treatment specialists. Can you tell us a little bit more about the certification that they have to get? Yes, and I can speak from experience on this one. So I'm actually a tobacco treatment specialist as well. I went through the University of Massachusetts Medical School program and I do like to highlight a local partner here, Rethink Tobacco Indiana. They are our local trainer for TTS training. However, there are other national programs around, including MD Anderson and the Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And so uh, tobacco treatment specialists, they actually represent a diverse field of healthcare professionals. There's no prerequisite that you have to be a nurse, a physician, 
you know, psychiatrist, that sort of thing, or respiratory therapist. However, the tobacco treatment specialist certification can aid practice of those roles. But really what this training does is to introduce healthcare professionals to the whole continuum of treatment of nicotine addicted patients. So for example, what are the best evidence-based practices in regards to screening and intake of a patient, both for traditional medical and behavioral health systems? As well, what are the pharmacological options out there? What are contraindications that I should be wary of as I talk to a patient? But And arguably, most importantly, um, at least in in my personal opinion, is that how do I speak to the patient? How do I speak to them about this very difficult topic? Because as we know, talking about addiction, it's obviously one of the most important conversations that you can have. Uh, It's not usually the most fun conversation you can have. So a lot of the programs that, especially the local University of Massachusetts Medical School program, really stresses motivational interviewing. And so getting through that, you not only get practice and learn that, but you also get exposed to a cohort of other peers and students around Indiana that you can lean upon for additional assistance and conversation for motivational interviewing and tobacco treatment practice. And I do like to plug as well, in regards to that, we, IRHA, are a, a co-partner along with Rethink Tobacco and the Indiana Hospital Association and the Department of Health with a tobacco treatment specialist uh, community of practice call as well to really focus on updated information. But I do like to stress, while it's called a TTS community practice call, tobacco treatment allies are plenty accepted as well. Back when we were talking about the quit line, you were talking about different paths or different facets of the quit line for pregnant moms and for adults. Is there a special facet or path for minors? That's the great question. We've seen the last two to three years with the vaping epidemic, what public health has referred as evales or basically lung injuries from the vitamin E acetate scare and vapes and e-cigarettes. It's been the question, what do we do for our youth, specifically those under the age of, of 13. And so under the age of 13, um, did you say that right? Yeah, under the age of 13. Oh we do goodness. see use of, of e-cigarettes in middle schoolers, not to mention high school. Wow. So I'm familiar with the ratio of nicotine in a vape cartridge versus packs of cigarettes, but our listeners might not be. Can you share that? So <laughs> this can be a, a lecture in its own right, but e-cigarettes have developed really quickly over the past 10 years, I would say. There's various generations of products from open systems and closed systems. And really, in the most simple of terms, we're all familiar at this point with Juul, because that's what we've seen in the news and the like, because those were at one point the most popular amongst the youth in our state, but also nationwide. But when I mean open and closed, closed really mean those those pod-based systems that come pre-filled from the manufacturer and, and you insert that into the device. But there's also open systems in which you can place the, the vaping liquid directly into the system. But you can also put in other types of compounds, THC and the like. And so it gets very difficult trying to track what's truly in that vape. To reach back to your question, though, as far as nicotine content, Yes, like those jewels, you can really equate about one pod being a pack of cigarettes. So if you have, you know, a 13, 14 year old who's doing a, a pod or two of jewel a day, you know, that's, that's really equating to a pack or, or two of, of cigarettes a day, which is shocking to very many people. So when you wonder why some people are very addicted to their vaping device, it really comes down to that nicotine content. And as far as the 
the open systems and all the various different juices or types of vaping solutions out there. Last time I checked, I think, I can't remember the the data source on this, I I believe about 99% of those solutions were found to have some level of nicotine in them, even if they weren't listed as having nicotine. So just because it doesn't say it has nicotine in that solution, really, you can you can bet on it that it's going to have nicotine in it. Yeah, you mentioned a couple of resources, and any resources you can send us, we'd be happy to post in our show notes. Yeah, absolutely. I'll be sure to, to do that. As we know, tobacco use all the way back to the, the early Surgeon General reports. There's been a lot of work in the tobacco realm, so I can I can surely send resources. But I do like to mention there was a more recent Surgeon General report from Dr. Jerome Adams back in January, February of this year, and it specifically focused on cessation. We've had a few reports on tobacco from the Surgeon Generals over the, you know, the past really like 50 years, but this particular report is specifically on cessation, and they do highlight a lot of specific work on the role of health systems. And that's really what hits at the work of this this health systems change partnership. So just a few highlights from that Surgeon General report. So nearly 70% of adults, and this is nationwide data, so nearly 70% of adults who smoke say they want to quit. And over 50% of adults who smoke each year try to quit. And that really equates to about three in five adults who've ever smoked cigarettes have quit. And in regards to specifically to health systems, over 40% of adults who smoke do not receive advice to quit from a healthcare professional. I really like to highlight that point there, over 40%. And as we know in healthcare and public health, um, and as I mentioned from the start of this call, tobacco use is the number one preventable death in, in the U.S. So I really like to strike that there. And then the last few points is that fewer than one in three adults who smoke use cessation counseling or FDA-approved medication when trying to quit. And then fewer than one in 10 adults successfully quit smoking each year. So taken all together, working with local health systems is a perfect area to continue to drive inroads with tobacco use and tobacco cessation. And that's really the heart of this program work. Yeah, those statistics are staggering. So I do want to go back to the the systems change partnership here in Indiana. You mentioned early on, we were talking about three different hospitals. How were those hospitals picked for this partnership program? Yeah, that's a great aspect. And that's why I appreciate going through some of this data and other types of aspects to build context here. So as we've built this cohort to address tobacco use and really nicotine use, I do like to to use that word that's a little bit more all-inclusive. It really came down to organizations that had leadership that really wanted to be pathfinders and to drive this sort of work. I guess more in simple terms, these these hospitals were selected because one, the leadership at these at these hospitals identify that yes, we we need to address this within our community, but also in our organization. We want to be the peer leaders in the community to have a healthier community. Additionally, all of these communities have some sort of high level of either nicotine use prevalence or a related disease state. COPD, asthma, diabetes, I mean, we all know that 
tobacco use is prevalent either directly or indirectly in a multitude of different health and disease states. And so it's the utmost importance to hit it in the butt first and foremost. And so really taken together, it's the, it's that local leadership and that community need that selected these sites within our IRHA cohort, but also with our other health systems that are engaged in this work across the state. So these first three hospitals, Decatur County Memorial Hospital, Putnam County Hospital, and Franciscan Rensselaer were chosen, what, about two years ago when the partnership really came into being? Yes, and a lot of the head work really came from Tina Elliott and her experience. It was really assessing readiness and need around the state. Mm-hmm. Since this is largely an organizational change type of focus with this work, it's, it takes more than simply desire, but also organizational readiness. Mm-hmm. And then what outcomes are you tracking at these different hospitals? So each one's a little different based off of the work because some take a more of an inpatient focus. Some take a more outpatient focus, but at a a broad brush level, uh, a lot of these facilities are going to track tobacco quitline referrals from the providers. They're tracking whether they screen their patient population for tobacco use. They're tracking prescriptions written for nicotine replacement therapy and um, the full seven FDA-approved pharmacological medicines that are available. They're tracking more indirect things such as readmission rates. So again, it's all distinct based off of the organizational approach that's unique to the the facility. Will there come a time when the work done with these three hospitals will be replicatable at other hospitals throughout the state? Absolutely. So that is by far the big takeaway from this work is while we do want to support the hospitals that do engage directly in this work over the past two years of building these pilots, you know, having the boots on the clinic floor. Our evaluation team with IU, Richard and Fairbanks Center for Health Policy is directly writing up reports and other evaluation documentation to help move these findings beyond just the walls of the clinics who've signed on. So that way we can really impact smoking cessation at the local health system level all across the state. Yeah, that's amazing. Now, I know Indiana, as far as health statistics goes, tends to be at the bottom ranking from all 50 states. In the the latest data, where does Indiana stand on tobacco or nicotine use? That is a great question. So there's a few different data metrics I look at when I think about tobacco use and tobacco cessation. And as you mentioned, yes, Becky, we... uh, We here in Indiana tend to drive a few metrics as far as the bottom end of the 50 states, including public health funding and tobacco cessation funding as well. As far as where we stand presently, we are constantly above the U.S. median of of tobacco prevalence. So I think as of the 2019 Behavioral Risk Factors Surveillance System, we're at about 19.2% here in Indiana. So that equates to about 930,000 current smokers versus the U.S. median rate of of 16.1%. And while it has decreased significantly since 2011, it's still very, very high. So we still need to do a lot of work there. 
Additionally, we do have very high levels of tobacco use with certain priority populations, including pregnant mothers, unfortunately. And as we know, that can have a lifelong amount of impacts, not only for the mother, but also that child. And so, again, there's a lot of various ways to cut it, but we are by far the bottom of the cohort in the United States. So while we have a high prevalence for tobacco or nicotine use, I understand that we also have a very low tax rate on cigarettes. That's been a huge issue in the past several years in the Indiana General Assembly. Yes. So we've had a few different attempts at a tobacco tax within the last, I mean, really two sessions. I always have to commend our partners at Raise It for Health and the American Lung Association and the American Heart Association for being strong advocates for this type of work. We do know from the tobacco research field, there's a few different ways to affect tobacco use from a a pure population level. This is by far the most effective way to do so. I don't want to discredit by no means the raising the the tobacco use age to 21. That's great and that's fantastic and that will help the cause. But really, I do like to stress that from the research that we have available, the tobacco tax is exceptionally powerful. So to really ride the coattails of that national success, we really need to focus on that here. And so I think our tax on a pack of cigarettes in this state is about 99 cents. And we are, we are much lower than all of our surrounding state partners. I mean, even compared to Kentucky, which tends to be a tobacco haven, of course, with its long history. So it's a bit embarrassing there. So obviously we want to at least maintain with our local neighbors. But I do like to stress that there is no tax on e-cigarettes or vaping products. Is that the lack of tax on vaping products, is that just here in Indiana or is that nationwide? There are, and again, when you get down to the, to the, the tax policies, it's very diverse as far as what products states tax and how much, that sort of thing. But in, in regards to e-cigarettes and vaping, I mean, it is newer, of course, compared to traditional cigarettes, cigars, the like. So some states have always placed it on the back burner with their legislative agenda. So that's part of the reason to blame. But I'd have to look at the, the direct numbers in front of me. But there's, there's a sizable amount that do have a e-cigarette tax. So by no means is it a minority or is it a one-off. But there are other states as well that uh, they don't have it. So it's a solid mix um, in the tax landscape. Right. Well, and then I also wanted to go back. You mentioned raising the minimum age to buy tobacco products to 21. Refresh my memory. That was a federal law. Is that correct? So it was a federal law. And then we also had, started off in last session, as a Senate Bill 1 that conformed the state as far as enforcement policies to the national policy as well. So it's a bit twofold on the T21 or Tobacco 21 law change, both federal and state. And so that really comes about from our local partners, local advocacy, our national partners that advocate for that as well. I know Senator Todd Young was supportive of of that initiative as well. So I do like to, to give all that credit where credit's due for moving that long needed effort. Absolutely. So as we begin to wrap up, are there any topics that are really near and dear to your heart that we haven't touched on today? Absolutely. So obviously with this line of work, it's all resource driven. That's always a key with the tobacco control work. You know, 
where can I find this? Where can I find that? So I do like to just take a moment to, as we finish up these, these final thoughts, what are some great resources for our local health systems to reach out to? And so, as we mentioned, the tobacco treatment specialist training, please look to, to Rethink Tobacco Indiana on their website, RethinkTobaccoIndiana.com, I believe. I can send that into the notes. Um, but they have a great warehouse of other resources as well, fact sheets and the like. Debbie Buckles and Kayla Sue are, are great friends of mine, so I always like to give them a plug. Additionally, the Department of Health, they have a great landing page, the Tobacco Commission, giving out other resources, not to mention that tobacco treatment specialist community practice call that's on their webpage as well. So feel free to join us if you'd like to learn more about current updates with policy, resources, the like, as well as a great resource for anyone who's a tobacco dependence treatment ally is the Association for the Treatment of Tobacco Use Independence, ATUD. Um, great resource with listservs that have you connected with tobacco dependence treatment professionals all across the really the world not not only the u.s so you can send out a question and get an answer whether it be scripting or a particular type of program someone's going to know it and so it's it's a tight-knit community so i always love to plug them and then if there's any questions of course that come up for me please let me know you can always reach out we're not shy here at irha so uh feel free to to reach out and we'll chat and how should they reach out if our listeners have additional questions specifically for you taylor how should they contact you Usually the best way to get a hold of me is, of course, um, through my email at tkenyon at indianarha.org. That way, a lot of these conversations tend to be uh, more research-driven, so I tend to send over a lot of materials. We can set up a Zoom call, we can reach out via phone, however you wish to speak. But that's usually the best way to get the conversation going so I can send off some resources before we get started. All right. Thank you so much, Taylor, for joining us today. Uh, you are a wealth of knowledge, and we'll certainly share that with our listeners. I always appreciate the time. I want to thank you for listening to A Virtual View. I've been your host, Becky Sanders. You can find more information about today's episode in the show notes below. If you would like to support our podcast, please rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. Do you have a topic you'd like us to discuss? If so, leave us a review with your idea or contact us at info at umtrc.org. Also, I'd like to give a special thanks to Josh Rodriguez and Francis Fitzgerald for scoring our podcast. And I'd be remiss if I didn't thank our editor, Caroline Yoder, who's been the brains behind making this idea of mine come to fruition. I couldn't have done it without her. Finally, a special thanks to the Health Resources and Service Administration, also known as HRSA. Our podcast series, A Virtual View, is sponsored in part by HRSA's Telehealth Resource Center program, which is under the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy and the Office for Advancement of Telehealth. The content and conclusions of this podcast are those of Becky Sanders as the program director of the UMTRC and should not be construed as the official policy or position of, nor should any endorsements be inferred by, HRSA, HHS, or the U.S. government. Thanks for listening and have a great day.